Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. So good morning. My name is Taylor Mickelson. I am the director of student ministry here at Good Shepherd. And I have the honor of opening up the word with you guys today on this beautiful Palm Sunday. And I get excited for uh, the little ones that are going to be coming in later with their little palm leaves. And it gets me thinking about my son and how he will eventually be coming down with a palm leaf too. And if you didn't know, um, we, my wife and I, Sarah, we just welcomed Harvey Hugh Mickelson into this world just a couple weeks ago. Yes, yes. There he is, little cutie. He came on March 21st and he has you know, flipped our entire world upside down in the best way possible, as I'm sure some of you know. And I've been given permission by Austin to share a first-time dad tweak of the week, which if you guys don't know what a tweak of the week is, it's a funny story that we share in middle school that we can either laugh at you about or laugh with you about. And yes, today you'll definitely be laughing at me. And so as a new dad, I feel like I've made my, my best learnings have come when I make mistakes. And with changing diapers, there has been nothing but learning experiences happening. <laughs> and it's been great. You see, I have an older sister and she has two nieces. And I've, my, my wife and I, we got a lot of time hanging out with them when they were really little. And we got a lot of time like changing their diapers and being around them. And so what I didn't realize, though, when I had a boy is that there's a distinct difference between changing a diaper for my nieces and changing a diaper for my son, right? There's a hardware issue there, right? And so what I didn't realize is when I was going into being a dad for the first time, I was carrying a certain confidence as I had about changing diapers because, you see, I had a lot of experience with my nieces, well, how's the saying go? I think it goes like pride comes before the fall, right? And church, I fell hard. I fell so hard. You see, Harvey had his circumcision the day after he was born. And the doctors told us, hey, keep an eye on it for the next seven to 10 days because there's things that you just need to be looking for. I was like, okay, all right. I'm, I'm worried about my son's future. I will keep an eye on what, what's happening on downstairs. And so every time we changed him, you know, you'd look at it, make sure everything's good and kosher for my little man. But then day eight rolls around and something seems amiss. Something seems wrong. And he's screaming more than just the like, hey, I'm really cold, put a diaper on faster, dad. It's more like a pain. And so naturally, I think, I, you know, I take a look and there actually does look to be something wrong. And so I'm, I'm worried for him. But that means I need to get a closer look, Right. <laughs> Yeah, see, you can hear it. I get closer. Some of you know where this is going. And yes, he peed. He peed while I was front and center. But that's not even the worst part because he peed directly into my shocked mouth. <laughs> and it was awful. It was awful. It tasted so bad, so bitter, if you're wondering. And I told you I've been learning, right? And so every single time I see something wrong with my little man's hardware, I just go get Sarah and she checks it out. <laughs> so thank you for letting me share. Being a dad has been awesome these last couple of weeks. But I'm more concerned with 
the series that we've been in for these last couple of weeks. We've been looking at a life on mission. And Caden started us off a couple of weeks ago, kind of gave us the skeleton of what we've been working with here on life on mission. And he started by asking a bunch of questions and not really giving any answers, trying to get us to catch a conviction for a life on mission. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it is just so good for one of those sermons to convict you and just kind of rattle your routines to get you out of the funk that you've been in. And for me, there were two questions that really rested on my heart that Caden asked. And the first one was, are you casting a net? Are you casting a net? Am I actually fishing for anyone? Do I have a life on mission? And the second question is, do I need to mend my net? If I think I've been casting, I should be catching fish, right? Maybe I need to change my methods. And so those were the two questions that I came away with. And from all those really extremely poignant questions came the, the feeling of, okay, now what? And Austin for the last couple of weeks has been trying to actually put meat on the bones that Caden gave us. And he's done just that with the Shema, right? The Shema goes through our faith and the circles that it should impact in an understandable and really a practical way, starting with ourself, right? Because we realize it has to start with me. I have to be sold out on the mission of God before I can live a life on mission. It's that question of, do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind? And then Austin moved into the family. And I love that Austin called it our first mission field. It's like God gave us all that perfect proving ground to try out living a life on mission. People in our lives that are built in that we can share what God is doing in our life. And then next we looked at loving our neighbors and how loving our neighbors actually turns into loving our enemies, right? And that can be difficult and it gives us opportunities to speak into and love into situations that Jesus is calling us. And then two weeks ago, Austin looked at our city, little old Loveland, Colorado, and what it means to actually be on mission in our city, in this cultural moment. And then finally, last week, Austin had a spicy message, which I really liked, looking at our nation and our world, talking about being anxious about things that we don't have control over, and reminding us that we are kingdom focused first and then our politics follow after. And then looking at what it means to be on mission while still loving our country. And so you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, wow, Austin kind of covered all the spheres life on mission could impact. What are you gonna say? That's a great question. But before I get to answering that, I have a question for you guys. What happens in a year from now when we're not doing a series called Life on Mission. It's called Life on Mission. Not six weeks because my church is doing a series on evangelism. Not, oh, it's Easter, I should invite someone. Not, oh, it's Christmas, let's tell them the real reason for the season. It's a Life on Mission, church. Because that's not good enough. That's not what God has commissioned us, the big C church, to do. This mission, this purpose that God has called all of us to, it will inform the rest of our lives. And that might sound hyperbolic to you, but I'm dead serious. 
Life on Mission is not this clever title that we have for you guys. We wholeheartedly believe that it should be our regular mode of operation when we walk around. So I got, got me thinking about Jesus. Was Jesus ever not thinking about the broken and the lost? Was Jesus ever not reaching out to pray or to love or to heal someone? Jesus's life was the perfect life on mission. He did it for 33 years and then ascended to heaven. And sometimes I play this little game where I think about, okay, what if I lived every single second of every single day on mission? Would I be called away early? Would I be causing such trouble for the devil down here that he's moving all of earth to try and put me down early? Just a thought to, to think on. Life on mission. It's a daunting task, especially as I stand here, 26 years old, thinking that I probably have 60 years left of life on mission. That's scary. That's a scary thought. And I have the question, how do I sustain a life on mission? And there's probably a few ways to answer this question, depending on who you ask, but the Lord laid an answer on my heart a couple of weeks ago that I'm gonna share with you guys today. And simply put, I believe it's eternity. I believe eternity on the mind helps us make a distinct and important perspective shift in the way we interact with every single person that we encounter. So when I said eternity, I'm imagining most of you thought of heaven, some place in the clouds, right? And that's fine. But eternity is so much more than just an invitation to the mythical paradise in the clouds. You see, I, can, I can't actually think of a time that I went to a Sunday service and the pastor spent all of his time talking about eternity or heaven. Because in the church, heaven is just an assumed knowledge. You die, you go to heaven. But is that really what the New Testament writers describe for us? Is heaven really the ending that we're supposed to be looking forward to at a long journey? What made those New Testament writers seem so urgent for the Lord's will to come and to be done? So I'm gonna look at a couple of scriptures that hopefully, hopefully paints this picture of what these first century Christians had that was different from us. And it starts in Matthew, Matthew 4, 17. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is one of the first things Jesus says at the beginning of his ministry. And it's a powerful moment because it's not a pie in the sky, someday, somehow, maybe, but it's, but it's here and it's now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what's crazy to me is when I was looking at this scripture, the very next section of scripture is actually the section Caden started this series with. It's the fishers of men. It's Jesus calling his disciples to a life on mission. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the kingdom of heaven and a life on mission are so close together in scripture. Later in John's gospel, we get this incredibly telling line from Martha at the scene of Lazarus's death. Jesus said to her, 
your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now I share this scripture with you, not to maybe open the can of worms that it could, but really just to, to illustrate that there's a different perspective here that these first century Christians all had when they were walking and thinking about eternity. And this was all before Jesus died and rose again. And she had this perspective. Later, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, something profound, something that is so important that if you get nothing else today, please just tune in for this next section of scripture. It's my longest one, but hang on, it's good. So I'm gonna read it for you. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is in vain. Sorry, is not in vain. That's pretty important. <laughs> so you see, this is the life on mission, knowing that what I do here is not in vain. There's that not word again, not in vain. Everything we do here matters when we get over there. And it should spur us on to do the good works of the kingdom. It's crazy thinking about those New Testament guys, thinking about Paul. How did Paul write all these letters to all these different people groups, all these different churches, challenging them, growing them, pushing them to stay in pursuit of the Lord without ever seeming like he gave up? How was Peter so on fire for God that when you read his writings, you actually start to catch the urgency of which he does everything in his life? How? Where was this sense of urgency coming from? And I would put to you that it's their sense of eternity. It's their vision of what's to come. They have eternity on the mind that the kingdom of heaven was at hand and the Lord had called them to take part here and now. And I think as the church, we have settled for a lukewarm goal of, sim of simply getting to heaven. Lukewarm Christians care about the lukewarm goal of getting to heaven. Capturing that seemingly elusive invitation is not that hard. Actually, if you look at scripture, getting to heaven is like the easiest thing to do in the gospels. No joke. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified 
and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. All you have to do is say it and believe it in your heart and your ticket has been stamped. You're going to heaven. That's the starting line. Everybody starts there when they join the church. There is a lot of work to be done afterwards. It's frustrating to me that that's where we have paused our faith in so many circles. And it's an invitation for every new believer, every longtime saint. Heaven isn't just a destination to be reached. Heaven is the reminder of way God intends for earth to eventually look. And while I was doing research, I read this book called Surprised by Hope for this sermon. And there's a quote in there by the guy who writes that book, N.T. Wright, and it's incredible. It's so good that I have to share it. And so Jesus's resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is about. Let it soak in for a second. I'm going to read it again because I think it's that good. Jesus's resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is about. And so when you think about it, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's what Austin mentioned last week. We should be focused on bringing the kingdom down, not waiting around here till the kingdom, to get to the kingdom. Which means we have to be active and participating. So we're talking about eternity on the mind because life on mission, uses eternity for its fuel for decades to come. And so I've been sermonating, as we like to put it here at Good Shepherd. Okay, sermonating is a fun term that we got from New Life Church, Brady Boyd, but it's been popularized by Austin, okay? So it's really important that you guys know that Austin's the one who's made it popular, okay? <laughs> Sermonate just kind of combines ruminating, which is like thinking and sermon. So when you're thinking about a sermon, it's just sermonating, right? Okay. So I realized that eternity on the mind is something that the Holy Spirit has been slowly and gradually shifting in me over the last couple of months. And if I can be really honest with you guys, it's from when I started here about nine months ago that this shift started to happen, that the Holy Spirit was working in me. And that shift happened through scripture, through prayer, through reading his word and stories and quotes and today my hope is to share those things with you guys because I want the Holy Spirit to start a perspective shift in you because he's going to continue in me for months and years and decades. And there's this quote from C.S. Lewis that really does a good job of thinking about this. Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever. And this must be either true or false. Now, there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were going to only live 70 years, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. This is another example of that perspective that these first century Christians all had. You see, this quote revealed something kind of disgusting in me. I'd been living that quote in reverse I wasn't bothering with the things that were here and now because I knew I was destined for heaven. I was just 
biding my time, waiting, waiting, waiting for heaven. Man, how sad is that? Are you kidding me? That's a life of me abdicating the incredible calling that God has given all of us. He sustained us, he's equipped us so that we might be part of bringing his kingdom to earth. You see, there's this really cool saying in the church that I think comes from Revelation 21.5 where Jesus says, I am making all things new. And the saying goes like this, Jesus is not in the business of making all new things. You see, Jesus is in the making, sorry, is in the business of making all things new. You guys see how easy it is to forget that? How easy it is to swap the two around in the hustle and bustle of our world? And how easy it is for us to just lose our sense of eternity? Sometimes I think the church gets retirement mixed up with heaven or eternity. Like we're gonna be lounging around on a cloud with a, a harp just like playing for the rest of eternity. That's kind of ridiculous when you look at the Garden of Eden, God's original plan for being with his people. What did he tell them to do? He told them to subdue the earth, to work, to have relationship with one another. And there's no way that heaven or eternity is going to look that different. It can't be this completely unrecognizable state of living because we know Jesus is not in the business of making all new things. He's in the business of making all things new. And so we're oftentimes living on earth, waiting to get to heaven instead of living on mission here and now. We want to be like the Pauls and the Peters and the Marthas and the Timothys. We wanna have eternity at the forefront of our mind. How do we do that? Now I know what some of you might be thinking, there's an elephant in the room Okay, you, you might see it, you may not be aware of it, but the elephant is that I work at a church. And so you're probably saying, well, yeah, dude, of course you have eternity on the mind. You work at a church. Fair, fair point. And I'm willing to concede that it helps, but I promise you it's not as important as you might think because I don't have to listen to five to 10 Christian podcasts or sermons a week. I could listen to Joe Rogan or Ben Shapiro or NPR or whatever, fill in the blank on my free time. I don't have to read the latest theological stance on my free time either because I could just do that for work. Heck guys, I don't even have to read the Bible on my free time because I do it for work. But in my free time, I choose that influence. In my free time, I am choosing to spend my time in a pool of heavenly influence. So earlier this week, I was sharing my sermon with Austin and he got this image of pools and I ran with it. I kind of expanded on that idea. And so for simplicity's sake, I want you to think of two pools, just small pools, maybe like a hot tub kind of pool. And one of them, represents Christian ideals, where you'd be sitting in it and you'd be taking in a lot of Christian ideals. You'd be reading scripture, you'd be praying, you'd be getting words, you'd be listening to sermons, you'd be doing worship music, you'd just be sitting in silence for him. And that's one pool. And then maybe there's this other pool over here 
and I would call it American culture because that's the culture we live in. So that's what it would be. And if you're spending a lot of time there, maybe you're thinking about the slap heard around the world and what Will Smith did to Chris Rock. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe you're thinking about that latest bill that's trying to be passed and how it just boils your blood. And I think if we let it, those arguments will go on for eternity as well. But eventually we leave these pools. You have to go out into the world. And as with any pool, you get wet and you're leaving wet footprints and droplets of water everywhere you go. Are you leaving droplets of water with that clerk at King Supers about what you heard on Ben Shapiro this morning? Are you leaving a statistic that you heard about gun violence on NPR with that person you met at Ace Hardware? Or are you so saturated in the Holy Spirit that you are leaving wellsprings of life everywhere you go, like it says in Proverbs? Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. You see, having eternity on the mind is not behavior modification, church. In some places, practically, it might start that way. But real change, lifelong mission mentality change, that happens when the Holy Spirit gets in your bones, when he's renewing your mind, when he transforms your life. And from that point, it starts spilling out of you everywhere you go. And there's a beautiful verse in Jeremiah that paints this picture for us. And that, that verse has been with me for a long time, for like a year now since Katie shared it, I think, right? And I think I've read it five to six times every week because it's just like so good. It's stuck in me and I love the picture it paints. It's Jeremiah 29. If I say, I will not mention him, Jeremiah speaking about God, or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary with holding it in and I cannot. This is the life on mission that we spend so much time saturating ourselves in a pool of heavenly influence through his presence, his prayer, through worship, reading his word, that it's just trapped in our bones. That although we go to our workplace and maybe we try to hide it, we cannot help but let it out because you cannot help but share the incredible things that the Lord is doing in your life. The transformation he's orchestrating, the healing he is demonstrating in a friend and the kindness he is continually showing to your family. You see, you aren't entering into conversations anymore with American politics on your mind. You aren't entering into a conversation about the wrongs that people are committing according to the Bible. No. Instead, you're entering into conversations with compassion and care because God's heart is for all people to know him. And when you, when, when you consider eternity and frankly, eternal damnation, how can we not at least share with someone what God has been doing in our lives? Because it could lead to seeing them in eternity. Yes, that means we're going to go and talk to that member of the LGBTQ plus community. Yes, we're going to go talk to that left-wing progressive. Yes, we're going to go talk to that right-wing whacked out conservative. The list just goes on and on and on and on. 
And that's because any person can be our neighbor in a moment. And those conversations, those moments of compassion for people that are difficult for us to deal with or to talk to or to love on, those moments will be few and far between if we never choose to carve out time to soak ourselves in his presence, to be saturated in his pool of influence and carry it wherever we go. Because changing pools once a week for one hour on a Sunday is not enough. We have to choose to move past a lukewarm goal of getting to heaven, church, and step into a life on mission that considers and keeps eternity as the fuel to carry the incredible mission that God has given us. And so I'm gonna end this sermon with another story because I love telling stories. And so just a few weeks ago, it was Valentine's Day. And I left work early, thanks to my boss. And I got to go pick up Sarah from her work and surprise her a little early. And we had no plans for the couple of hours that we were spending together before our final birthing class. And it was a beautiful day, beautiful day. And if you remember the week before, it was like summer had come early because the week before was so bad. And my wife, Sarah, she just comes alive with the sunlight. It was so good to see her like that. It was so fun. And we, we decided, hey, let's go do something. And Sarah, I figured, would want to go walking. It's kind of her thing. She's, she loves to say, got to get your steps in, right? And I love that. So I knew we'd probably be walking. But she decided, hey, let's go to Sentara. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to be some shopping and some walking. That's a win-win. <laughs> we're walking down the one side and we get to seize candy. I don't know if you guys have ever been to seize candy, but I have a ton of very fond memories as a child running around with one of those ridiculous rectangle chocolate suckers that barely fit in your mouth. And I asked Sarah, hey, have you ever had one of those chocolate suckers? And she was like, no. I was like, what? You've never had one? We got to go get one right now. And so we went in, they're like 75 cents, a dollar, whatever. I don't even know. And there's this older guy in front of us. And he's checking out, he's got a box of chocolates, probably for his significant other. And he turns around and he says, hey, I'm, go ahead, go ahead. You, I, I got a lot of stuff, you just go ahead. And Sarah and I do the thing where we're like, oh, what, an, oh, what a nice guy, you're too kind, letting us go first, thank you, right? You see, Charlie the sainted chocolate buyer had something else in mind though. That's actually not his name, I don't know what his name is. That's just what it is in my head. He bought, our suckers for us. And he said, hey, have a wonderful Valentine's Day. And Sarah and I floated out of Seas Candy from that simple kindness that that old man showed us. And man, it has had a profound effect on me, that simple act of kindness. I mean, for goodness sakes, it made it to my first Sunday sermon. That's how much it affected me. And then I started thinking about it. If I hadn't been so dumbstruck by that kindness that he showed me, maybe I asked him the question of, hey, why? Why? Why buy our suckers? And maybe because this is the perfect hypothetical situation, Charlie the chocolate buyer says something like this. Well, I have been shown the greatest kindness by a God who loves me. And I wanna share with you the things that he's continuing to do in my life. It's simple and it's boom, 
but you're like, man, that's weird. I don't know, dude, that's weird. That's odd. That's really, really, really awkward. Is it too peculiar though? You see, cause God calls us to be a peculiar people. And Austin says it all the time. I feel like he says it every week. He's quoting something out of Peter, but really it comes from Deuteronomy. Peter's quoting Deuteronomy in his book. And so it's Deuteronomy 14.2 in the KJV, and I have it in the KJV because I just like the way it sounds. For thou, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. And the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. You see, church, having eternity on our mind is a peculiar thing. I don't know many people who walk around their day with resurrection life just chilling on their frontal lobe. But we need to be those people. This world needs those people. And if we are to continue a lifetime on mission, then we have to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Only time in His presence will lead to a life that is lived with eternity at the forefront of our mind. And today is Palm Sunday, and it's not lost on me the significance of Palm Sunday as we celebrate our Lord and Savior coming in on a donkey to Jerusalem, just as it said in the prophecy of the Old Testament. And as he was coming into Jerusalem, they were laying down palm leaves, welcoming him. And they were crying, Hosanna, which is a cry of praise, but as it translates, it translates to save us or please save us. The people were crying out for deliverance. And as we know, the Lord delivered. He went to a cross and he died. And then three days later, he sealed our fates and defeated death. 